welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA. This is Warren Landis, your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And I want to say hello to all of our listeners on Anchor FM and Spotify and some of the other platforms on which we are broadcasting right now. Um, Today we're going to be in Mark chapter 16. And believe it or not, we're going to do at least two, maybe three more studies in the Gospel of Mark before we leave the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Now, you might say, how are you going to do that when you only got one more chapter left? Well, you might say this 16th chapter of Mark is fully loaded. And uh, because there's so much good stuff here, it's going to actually take probably three broadcasts in order for us to truly take in everything that is included here in the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. So let's go ahead and turn in your Bibles right now to uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter number uh, 16. And in just a few moments, we will be reading with... uh, Verse number one. Now, this chapter opens up with the resurrection. In the previous broadcast, we talked about Christ dying on the cross for our sins. And that, of course, was a very pivotal event because of the fact Christ became the one supreme sacrifice for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Now, bearing in mind back in the Old Testament, when uh, people made sacrifices, they had to do this over and over again every year. And the reason why was because no sacrifice in the Old Testament was good enough or big enough to cover all of your sins, past, present, and future. It could only cover your sins for one year. But what Christ did on the cross, he became the supreme sacrifice that wiped out all of our sins instantly, past, present, and future. And there's no need to do that over and over again every year. So, for example, when I got saved back in November 1969, it was no longer necessary for me to get saved over and over again. I only had to get saved one time, and that one time was for a lifetime. Now, that doesn't mean that I've been perfect ever since then. I I wish I could get in front of this radio microphone right now and say I've never committed a sin since I got saved. But if I said that, it would not be true, and I would be, in fact, lying to you. But... I can say that I have been continuously saved ever since November 1969, the Sunday before Thanksgiving when I got saved, because Christ became the Lamb without spot or blemish. His sacrifice on the cross was sufficient to wipe out all of my sin debt, past, present, and future. So whatever sins I've committed in the past, whatever sins I committed today, whatever sins I will continue to commit between now and the time I go to heaven, it's all covered by that supreme sacrifice 
that Christ made on the cross. And that's why what the cross, what happened on the cross is so significant, very significant. As I said on the last program, what happened on the cross changed everything. Now we come to Mark chapter 16 and verse 1. It says, now when the Sabbath was over, that is, when Saturday was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Solomon bought spices so that they could go and anoint the body of Jesus. Very early on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, just after sunrise, they went to the tomb. Now, try to understand here that these women, godly women though they were, strong believers though they were, they still not did not comprehend the fact that Jesus had risen from the grave just as he said. When they found the empty tomb, they fully expected the body of Jesus to still be there. Amen. They still expected the body of Jesus to be there. They fully expected that. There was no reason they would not have expected that. Based on their understanding. In fact, verse 3 tells us they were asking one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb? You see, they knew the grave had been sealed with a heavy stone. And here they were, and bearing in mind, these were women. And here they're trying to decide which among them or who among them is going to roll away the stone. Now, the fact of the matter is, if the stone had still been in place, I seriously doubt that they would have been able to roll it away. Because not only was this a big, huge, heavy stone, but we also take note of the fact that this particular stone was sealed. It was sealed with the Roman seal. It was sealed off by the Roman government. And part of the purpose here, frankly, was to make the um, tomb inaccessible to the Jews. You know, many of the Roman authorities and even the chief priests and scribes, they all feared, they all feared that the Jews, the followers of Jesus, would take the body of Jesus and make it look like he had risen from the grave, even though they felt like he probably wouldn't. But the Romans wanted to make sure that the grave was, in effect, tamper-proof, tamper-resistant. Therefore, they put a Roman seal on it. And as we read the account of some of the other Gospels, we find that the tomb 
was heavily guarded, once again by Roman soldiers. So they probably would not have been able to roll away the stone, nor would they have been given the opportunity to do so. And then look at what we find in verse 4. It says, But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, even though it was extremely large. And when they entered inside the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You were looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him? But go tell his disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now, you know, it's kind of interesting. Jesus had told them all along this was going to happen. On more than one occasion, Jesus made an honest attempt to tell the disciples and those who loved him and followed him, tell them what was going to happen to them. This should not have come as a surprise to anybody. But some way, somehow, they just didn't quite bring themselves to believe. So the women left the tomb and ran away, trembling and bewildered. And in their fear, they did not say a word to everyone. I can believe that. (laughs) I believe, man, they were running away from that tomb, probably at record speed. They were probably running away faster than they would normally be able to. Because they were running out of sheer fear. They didn't know what to think. And because of this, they didn't tell anybody. Then we come to verse number 9. It says, Early on the first day of the week after Jesus had risen, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had driven out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him who were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they did not believe. Now think about that. That was pretty solid unbelief, wouldn't you say? I mean, first of all, it was very apparent by the actions of the disciples. They did not believe that Jesus had risen. So now we have Mary Magdalene coming in person to tell them that she personally had seen Jesus. But guess what? They still would not believe it. They had already made up their minds this was all a hoax or a myth. Jesus was not still alive. He was not out of the tomb. And then we find that Jesus appears to two disciples, starting in verse 12. After this, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them as they walked along in the country. And they went back and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. So now we have Mary Magdalene, plus we have two 
disciples, all bearing witness to the fact that Jesus was alive and well, obviously written, risen from the dead as he had promised. And yet we find the bulk of the disciples still utterly refuse to believe. Now, you know, I find that very shocking. I find that very appalling that they had utterly and completely refused to believe. Now, by the way, as we begin taking a look at these post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, believe it or not, we get an idea about our new glorified bodies. One of the things that makes me so look forward to going to heaven is the fact that one of these days I'm going to have a brand new body. I will not have to take this old body of mine down here on earth to heaven with me. My Bible tells me I will have a brand spanking new body. Amen. And the more I think about it, the more man I tell you, I just get excited. Like I say, I might be a Baptist, Southern Baptist in particular, but guess what? I can't help but shout <laughs> when I think one of these days I'm going to have a new glorified body. And actually, that's what Jesus has here. And it's really a prototype of the type of body you and I will also have in eternity. Notice one of the things that this body allows Jesus to do. It allows him to go instantly from one place to another. He could go through walls. He can go through locked doors. He can even go through a sealed tomb. Now, by the way, in terms of that tomb being an open tomb, that stone was rolled back, not so that Jesus could get out. Frankly, I believe Jesus left that tomb even before the stone was rolled away. You see, that stone was miraculously and divinely rolled away so that other people could see that the tomb was empty, so that others could see that the body of Jesus was simply not there. It was not there. It was gone. Now, I want you to think for a moment. That empty tomb becomes very significant. I want you to know that eventually these disciples are not only going to be persuaded to believe that Jesus is indeed risen, but they are going to become bolder than ever before because of the empty tomb. Because of the empty tomb, you and I realize and you and I recognize that we don't serve a dead God. 
We don't serve a dead God. Our God is not dead. Our God is risen. Today I can take you to the grave where Jesus was, but he's not there anymore. He is risen. Woo! <laughs> Boy, I tell you. I get excited just thinking about that. He is risen. He's not there anymore. Now these bodies, unlike the bodies we have now, they will have the ability to last forever. These bodies will always be perfect. These bodies will always be without pain and sickness, no suffering. And that's one of the reasons why I so look forward to getting hold of this new body. Like I say, this new body will last forever. It'll never wear out. It'll never grow old. I mean, the older I get, right now I'm 66, almost 67 years old. And I can tell you that every morning when I get up, I become keenly aware of the fact that my body has more and more aches and pains. It has more and more limitations. I become increasingly convinced this old body I have now, it'll never make it forever through all eternity. But these new glorified bodies that we're going to receive, they will last forever. Now, by the way, believe it or not, those who are unsaved, those who are going to hell, they will have new bodies too. But not quite the same kind of bodies that you and I have as Christians. They will have bodies that will forevermore experience pain and anguish and suffering. Because bearing in mind, when one goes to hell, they're going to be burning in the fires of hell forever and ever. And when someone has been in hell for a trillion years, think about it, a trillion years, continuously burning, continuously anguishing in pain, the Bible says they will not have a single second less to spend there. They will be in hell forever and ever. And that is something to think about. And that's why they will need bodies that can burn with fire, experience great pain forever, yet never be actually consumed. In fact, right now in many denominations, there's a debate going on about whether or not People who go to hell will be annihilated, destroyed, or whether they will be continuously punished forevermore in the fires of hell. I meet all the time people, by the way, who say, Warren, how can God do something like that? Well, let me say very lovingly and very matter-of-factly, God doesn't send anybody to hell. People send themselves to hell. You see, when a person dies without knowing Christ as Savior, they can't go to heaven because unbelievers are not allowed in heaven. There's only one place where they can go. 
And that one place is a terrible, awful place called hell. A lot of times when Jesus spoke about hell, he used the word Gehenna. Now, Gehenna was a word in the original language which meant city dump. They had this garbage dump in or near Jerusalem, and it burned 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It was a garbage dump. And it was continuously on fire, and yet this particular pit never ran out of anything to burn because more and more garbage was cast into it throughout the day every day. And a lot of times, even at night, the people in the Holy Land back then, they could see the fires of Gehenna burning. And Jesus used that backdrop to remind people that those who refuse to believe in Jesus, they are going to burn forever and ever in this terrible, awful place that the Bible calls hell. Now, from hell, there is no appeal. There is no escape. There is no negotiating. You will be in hell, and it will be a forever sentence. There will be no opportunity to avoid hell. And that's why people like myself are so urgently pleading with people to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord before it is eternally and everlastingly too late. Because of the fact, because of the fact that once one ends up in hell, there is no escape. It's a forever sentence, no appeal, no parole, no probation. It's over. Your chance to get right with God from then on is gone. And that's why evangelism is such a serious thing. Every one of us as believers has an awesome duty and responsibility before God to help tell a lost and dying world about Jesus. Now, by the way, this is not just a job of your pastor. This is not just a job given out to Sunday school teachers. This is a job that every single one of us have. The job assignment of telling other people about Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because you see, one day it's going to be too late to get right with God. One day the time is going to come and God is going to say, okay, no more chances, it's all over. Now, 
Then we come to verse 14. Now, by the way, verse 14 is probably the verse where our Bible study will end tonight. It says, Later, as they were eating, Jesus appeared to the eleven and rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Now I want you to know something here. <laughs> this reminds me of something else Jesus could do in his glorified body. He could eat. Yes, we will eat in heaven. Yes, there will be food and plenty of it in heaven. And boy, I get excited about that. In fact, when it comes to eating in heaven, it will be so much better eating in heaven than it is here. Now, if you saw an up-to-date photograph of me, you would understand I don't look like I've missed too many meals. I haven't weighed myself in the last few weeks, but I can tell you I'm pretty big and I'm pretty heavy. Now, as a result of that, I have to be careful about what I ate. I try not to eat too much at one time, and now more than I used to, I try to count calories. I try to eat a balanced meal. I'm still not good at it, but I'm trying. But one of these days, when I get to heaven, I can eat anything I want, as much as I want, and it's not going to hurt my body. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, no matter how much you enjoy eating down here in this earth, in this life, I maintain that in heaven you're going to enjoy eating all the more. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> now, we're going to stop reading with verse 14. Like I say, there's a lot of good stuff here, and I don't want to try to cover this stuff too quickly. Because like I say, there is some good stuff here. It's, it's like uh, going to one of those famous all-you-can-eat buffets. <laughs> There's so much good stuff there, you just hardly know where to get started. And you know there's not enough room on one plate for everything you want. So you know you're going to have to go back two or three times, and that's basically pretty much the situation that we find here. We're going to find ourselves needing to um, go back at least three times. I see enough material here for us to easily take up as many as three different broadcasts. And we will probably do that. And then we'll go on to another Bible study after we finish that. <laughs> That's one thing I like about reading and teaching the Bible. You never run out of material. There's always going to be plenty of material to cover. And um, I enjoy doing these programs. And by the way, if you were looking at a webcam picture of me teaching right now, you would see me in front of a radio microphone and I don't have any notes of any kind in front of me. 
because I made up my mind early on I don't want to be dependent on notes when I preach in the pulpit. Instead, I want to be dependent on the Holy Spirit of God as to what I should say whenever I go to preaching his word. I, I was listening to a young man preach on the internet today. In fact, his sermon was on YouTube. He was a very young preacher. I think this was maybe perhaps one of the first times he'd ever preached before. And it was pretty obvious to me that he had written out his sermon word for word, and he was basically taking time to read that sermon word for word in the pulpit. Now, if he were to come to me for advice, I would probably advise him to get to the point where he can preach without notes. Learning to be dependent on God as to what you should say instead of being dependent on your notes. And I, it's like I would tell him, the more you're able to do that, the better off you're going to be. Now, I know we have a lot of young preachers that listen to Sunshine USA. Some of these young preachers have written to me by way of email, and they have told me they consider me to be one of their mentors in the ministry. And likewise, I have told them, I said, look, you guys, you can feel free to call me even on the phone. Usually I will give them at that point my phone number, and they can literally call me on the phone at home anytime they want. And I said, if I'm not available, leave a message and I'll get back with you. Because I truly desire to help you in any and every way I can as you go into the ministry. And one of the things I teach young ministers under my influence, I teach young ministers to learn how to be dependent on the Holy Spirit of God as to what you should say. Now, if you carry notes with you to the pulpit at all, I, I would suggest that you limit your notes to nothing more than a bare outline. That way you protect yourself from chasing rabbits and getting way off the subject, but you're still dependent on God for the bulk of what you're going to say. Amen. Now, with that in front of us, let me say I'm going to devote the next several minutes of this broadcast replying to some of the many emails that I have received. And, by the way, you'll be surprised. You know, I can't tell you how many hundreds and thousands of podcasters are out there. Um, when I first started doing podcasting back in 2012, it seems like there was only a handful of people doing podcasts in this country. Now we've got people all over America doing podcasts. And uh, I have gotten emails telling me that some of my listeners have identified me as among their favorite podcasts. Now, I have to tell you, when I hear things like that, I get excited. I mean, to think that there's hundreds and thousands of 
podcast out there and somebody considers me one of their favorite podcasts, boy, I tell you, you you can't imagine how that makes me feel. It makes me feel very good. Now, by the way, if you have a Bible study question, or for that matter, a prayer request, you can simply let me know at warrenlandis at yahoo.com or warrenlandis at gmail.com. Either way, I would love to hear from you. Amen. And I want you to know furthermore that you're also free to send me your prayer requests. I've told you many times I'm still the only employee here at Sunshine USA, and I can assure you I personally take the time to read carefully every prayer request that comes in. And I personally pray over every single prayer request that comes in. I believe it's important that I do that. I believe it's important that no prayer requests be overlooked. Because I believe there is power in prayer. Seriously, I believe there is power in prayer. Because you see, with God, nothing is impossible. And with God, all things are possible. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay? Now, let's uh, take a look at some of these questions here. Here is somebody is wanting to know, uh, what do I think about the gap theory in Genesis chapter 1? Well, <laughs> uh, probably a lot of you, myself included, until I started getting questions like this, I didn't even know there was a gap theory. But uh, there are some people who believe that somewhere between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, there is some kind of a gap. Uh, I personally don't mind telling you I don't believe there is a gap theory. It's just a matter of us needing to ask God how to correctly understand what we read there. I don't think there's a, a gap theory there at all. So I, I obviously don't take that very seriously. Um, okay, here's another question. Somebody wanting to know, do I believe in the virgin birth? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, as somebody told me when I was younger, the virgin birth is really the only way you can explain Jesus. Because you see, had it not been for the virgin birth, Jesus would have been unable to die on the cross for our sins because he would have a sin nature and he would have to die on the cross for his own sins. But because Jesus was virgin born, because Jesus was virgin born, he had no sin nature and therefore he did not sin. And therefore he was free to die on the cross for our sins. That's how he became the lamb without spot or blemish. Because he was virgin born. I consider the virgin birth to be a fundamental doctrine. I believe it's imperative that all of us as Christians believe in the virgin birth. I would not seriously believe 
that someone was a Christian if they did not believe in the virgin birth. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, here's another question. Somebody wanting to know uh, what church or denomination am I affiliated with? And I am so glad that you asked that question. And by the way, I am very skeptical over any TV, radio, or internet preacher that will not give you that information. There are some well-known TV and radio preachers in America today that will not give you an honest answer to that question. I mean, seriously, they will not give you an honest answer to that question. But I believe if you listen to me, and especially if you prayerfully and financially support my ministry, you have every right in the world to know what kind of church I go to or am affiliated with. I don't mind telling you that in terms of denomination, I am a Southern Baptist Christian. I'm a Southern Baptist preacher. Amen. And I happen to be a member of the San Susi Church here in Greenville, South Carolina. Now, I believe that the Bible is the holy, inerrant, inspired Word of God. Like any other Baptist, I believe in eternal security. I also believe, with all of my heart, that God gives all of us an important decision to make. A decision to either accept Christ as Savior, or, if you choose, you can reject Christ as Savior. Now, of course, remember, you have to live eternally with the consequences of your decision. For example, if you reject Christ, understand that you will spend forever and ever in eternity in hell. Now, I know what some people say. Some people say, well, you know, uh, I do intend to get saved. I just don't want to get saved today. After all, you know, they'll say I'm young. I'm in my 20s. I've got many years to live. I don't have to get saved today. Well, yes, you do. Because you see, the thing about it is you don't know how long you're going to live. I went to high school with some people who were still in their teens and they died. They were killed in a tragic car crash. None of us knows how long we're going to live. No one knows the day or the hour that you're going to die. And like I say, once you die, it's all over. It's too late. You can no longer make that decision. So if you want to make that decision for Christ, you need to make that decision today. You know, one thing Billy Graham pointed out, and it's a very important thing. He said, you know, the thief on the cross is the only example in the whole Bible of deathbed repentance. We know that Jesus died on the cross. One of the two thieves decided to be saved also. That thief simply said, Lord, remember me. You see, that thief knew that for him, death was just a few minutes away. 
And as Billy Graham pointed out, that is the only example of deathbed repentance in the entire Word of God. Meaning that it's possible, but not probable. Because like I say, most of us have no idea when we're going to die. Seriously, most of us have no idea when we're going to die. We have no idea when our time on this earth is going to come to an end. And so the smartest thing you can do is to pray and ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart. Right now I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you'll pray a prayer with me, or a prayer like this one, I can assure you that if you mean it, if you're sincere, God will save you. Dear Jesus, I want to admit that I'm a sinner. Lord, I admit that even at my best, I'm a dirty, rotten, filthy, stinking sinner. Lord, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. And give me a brand new life. Lord, the only life that you can give me is eternal life. And Lord, I accept that eternal life as a free gift. Lord, I realize I can't earn it. I can't work for it. But I accept it from you graciously as a free gift. And now, Lord, that I'm saved, I thank you for saving me. And Lord, I pray that you will help me to get involved in a local church. I pray that you will help me to study your word every day. For it's all these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Now, let me tell you something, folks. If you pray that prayer right now, or a prayer similar to it, I can assure you on the authority of God's word, God has saved you. God has given you a new life. Now, if you contact me by email, warrenlandis at yahoo.com or warrenlandis at gmail.com, that's my other email address, I'll be glad to send you some free information on what you can do next. I will give you free information about what church uh, you could start going to in your city. A church where they will help you grow in your knowledge of the Word of God. A church that will provide for you opportunities to get involved in service to God and others. <clears throat> and so, I am very thankful that those of you who just prayed that prayer, prayed that prayer. And I would love for you to notify me. WarrenLandis at Yahoo.com or WarrenLandis at Gmail.com and I'll be glad to rejoice with you. And if you like, I'll be glad to share your name on the next broadcast. And right now, looking at the clock on the wall, I can see that basically our time is pretty much expired. This has got to be the fastest 30 minutes in radio. And in fact, when it comes to Anchor FM, we actually have access to more than 30 minutes. My understanding is I could take up to an hour at a time. On this particular network, I rarely take the whole hour, by the way. But I've gotten here lately to where I usually take over half of it anyway. But still, the time goes by so quickly, it seems we hardly get started, and all of a sudden it's time to go. But I hope that you'll tell your friends about Sunshine USA and tell them how you found this program and tell them where they can find this program 
because that's really ultimately the best advertising we have. Until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye, God bless you, and guess what? I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.